there's been mistakes more as Ferrari as a whole. I know mm. before this started, we spoke about how the uh, the strategists are probably at, and I've mentioned before that they're, they're ma- they've been massively at fault, and they have been. But Leclerc has not been scot free from it as well. He's made some damning mistakes. Yeah, he has. You know, bidding it at France was was a big one, and I think he's crashed at other places. And uh, yeah, the strategists haven't been great. I don't know whether they had too much Italian wine the night before. They're reading the instructions upside down. I'm not sure, but. Hello guys and welcome to what would effectively be the second episode of the Excel Sports Network but officially it's the first episode and this time around we've got a special guest and you know what let's let's do the introductions first uh, first of all we have the two guys that have been with us for the the first official or the first unofficial episode uh, where we were talking about the whole end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, is it fair, whatever. Uh, so it's Ollie and Master Swain. So Ollie, welcome along again. Uh, thank you, Gareth. Looking forward to it. Uh, and Swain, welcome along. Hey, how's it going? So that's that side of it. And now let's let's get a perspective from the Dutch side of things. Roland, welcome along to the podcast of the, uh, the XL Sports Network. Good evening, Gareth. How are you all doing? So there we go. They are my three guests for tonight, and we have plenty, plenty of things to talk about tonight. Usually, we would have started at the beginning of the season. Unfortunately, we're starting at the beginning or the end of the summer break. Now, obviously, we've had half the season. Max Verstappen is leading the way in the championship. It is looking relatively solid for him right now, I think is the best way to describe it. Let's, uh, Roland, I mean, what is it like? What is the the hype over in the Netherlands right now? What's it like in the newspapers? How is it? Well, it looks like he'd already won it, to be honest. The, the, the atmosphere is like, yeah, he, he can't lose this now. Which is funny, because after three races, they thought he would never win it, because he was 40 points behind. And now they're, yeah, it, it can't go wrong. That's basically what uh, the media defends all saying. That's, yeah, to be honest, my opinion as well has to go really weird. Will you not win uh, a second championship? Do you do you think that Red Bull is a, the quickest car? I'm going to ask everyone here, but do you think that Red Bull is the fastest car on the track or over a lap quicker than the others? Or is it with Ferrari and Ferrari have messed up massively? The second one. Over one lap, I think Ferrari is the quickest one. But over a race, Red Bull might be the biggest, the best one, especially with the tyres. So, and they have way better strategists. So, but over one lap, I would say Ferrari is still the quickest car. Yeah, I mean, we look at the, the strategists for Ferrari and you do wonder if they have been, well, I'm trying to think of the right way, but maybe high. Um, Swain, uh, Matt, sorry, Matt, over to you. And obviously, you know, I don't want to say a massive Lewis Hamilton fan, but you're usually quite <laughs> capable of, of thinking things on the fence. Is this now a champ? You know, the championship's over. Max has just got to do what he's got to do. I don't, I don't, I, I personally don't think the champions completely, championship is completely over. 
Um, like Roland mentioned at the start of the year, Verstappen was 40 points down and they were writing him off already. And now look where it is. I do believe the current state is if Leclerc won every single race from now to Abu Dhabi, Verstappen finished second, Verstappen would be champion, which sounds really bad because it is pretty bad. But I mean, all it takes is a couple of DNFs and Leclerc's right back in it. But I think the biggest one is going to be Spa and Monza specifically, because um, Ferrari traditionally this year have run very high downforce, and Red Bull have run very low downforce. It's been interesting to see the contrast between the two, and that's why I think it's quite hard to say which car is faster, because both the teams like to set up their cars differently. So I don't think it's quite apples for apples. But that's why I mentioned Spa and Monza are going to be the big ones, because if Ferrari look quick in low downforce and they can win Spa, um, and then they can win Monza, then I'd say the championship is back on. But if Red Bull win Spa and Monza, then I think it's dead and buried. So you're quite set on the ways of that Ferrari and Red Bull, there's not one specific fast car, it is just track dependent. Very much so. That's kind of what we've seen over the uh, over the season so far, usually like last year, you'd get there and be like, oh yeah, Mercedes is going to be quick, or oh yeah, Red Bull is going to be quick. Whereas this year, granted it is a new formula, so you don't quite have that knowledge, but it's still the same. I think it's, it's still the same applies that you, we don't really know what's going to happen from track to track just because of how different the teams like to set up their cars and that throws a lot of curveballs into it. Definitely seems that way with how things have gone and historically where we would expect Red Bull to do well, Ferrari have actually done well and vice versa. Well, I say Ferrari have done well. We would expect Mercedes to do better. Uh, Obviously, we won't go touch Mercedes too much just yet. But Ollie, with everything that's gone on so far this season, there's been mistakes more as Ferrari as a whole, I know before mm. this started, we spoke about how the, uh, the strategists are probably, at, and I've mentioned before, that they're, they're ma- they've been massively at fault, and they have been. But Leclerc has not been scot-free from it as well. He's made some damning mistakes. Yeah, he has. You know, bidding it at France was, was a big one. and he, I think he's crashed at other places. And uh, yeah, the strategists haven't been great. I don't know whether they had too much... Italian wine the night before they're reading the instructions upside down I'm not sure but yeah it's not just the team it's it's the drivers as well Sainz made mistakes the clerks made mistakes and to be a world champion you can't make that many you look at Verstappen you know eight race wins and we've already discussed whether you know debate whether the Red Bull is quicker or, or the Ferrari is quicker but it's at the end of the day it's it's the driver who's driving that car and they're they're key to getting that car around the circuit and making silly mistakes has cost Ferrari and they wouldn't be where they are now if they hadn't obviously like we said it's half driver half team but yeah it's you just love to think you know if they had it like a lot of what ifs uh, you know or hypotheticals where if 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 those things did those things didn't happen you know where Leclerc would actually be but you know we'll still a long season left but again like like uh, Matt said depending on how Ferrari do the next uh two or three weekends we'll really um see where the season will go uh, for the rest of it Roland I'm just going to throw one more question at you 
there's a point in the series when Max wasn't in total control, obviously at the start, and then he started coming through, but it was his teammate that was giving more of a battle to him than the Ferraris. But that seems to have dropped off. But at that point when, you know, obviously uh, Monaco, Perez won, there was a lot of media uh, outrage uh, in 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 Netherlands that uh, especially from from Jos saying that there's a favoritism on Perez's side there Did, what's your thoughts on that and what actually was the news over over there well it was actually only Jos who thought that to be honest the rest from my what I've read in comments on sites that no one agreed with him Everyone was like, they had what they do. It was the only way for Red Bull to win that race. Otherwise, Ferrari would have won it with Sainz. Verstappen would have, wouldn't have won it. So, if he, yeah, if he wanted to win it, he should just have driven quicker. It's that simple. So, yeah, the, the main sentiment is more that Jos uh, was just yeah, moaning, moaning for nothing. That's a very Max Verstappen-esque answer there. Uh, if if you if you want to win it, you've just got to drive faster. And I suppose that is yeah, but, you know, Max's mantra, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, he knows he just he has it all in his own hands when driving the car. And then, yeah, if he makes a mistake, he will admit it. And he also, yeah, if, if someone wants to pass, or if I want to pass someone else, you just have to drive quicker, go pass him. So... What do you think has happened now to Perez? Why isn't he up there in the likes of Max's speed? Has Max found another gear? Or is it that... I mean, we're going to touch on this a little bit later on because this is what I truly believe is what's happened at McLaren is the McLaren have built the car so solely around Lando the other teammate can't fit into there so well. Is that something that's happened in Red Bull? Because that's what's been mentioned yeah. in the past. Yeah, I think... I mean, that's always going to be it's already the case since probably 2019 2020 i think that's probably also one of the reasons ricardo left and that's also probably the reasons why gasly and alban didn't fit in that well and why paris is not i mean he's doing well but yeah it's it's always expected that uh that Verstappen would probably be the, be the quicker driver over the whole season but if Verstappen isn't there, then he should be there. And, and that's what Paris did in, in Monaco. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy with him as a good good second driver. But, yeah, I don't see him as a world champion candidate or anything. Ollie, you were, you were going to say something? Like... I was just, just going to say that Red Bull have like, been like that for years, though. You know, with even in the Vettel era, you know, it was, that car was catered to him. And, you know, you, you go back to... Was it Silverstone 2012-2013 with Mark Webber somehow managing to get a win without without a new front wing? But Red Bull have been like that for years. They cater towards one driver, and they've and it, they've done that successfully. So it's and also Perez. Oh yeah, he's a great driver, but he's not Max's quality, is he? You know, he's not winning. He's not a world championship driver, Perez. So I I I totally see why he's in third and not challenging Max anymore, really, because that car is just suited perfectly to to the Dutchman. Now, here at the XL Sports Network, it's not just about this podcast. We are linked with a sister cut site called F1XL, and that is a 
an Xbox League Racing format league on, obviously, the Xbox, where we've got eight different leagues that take place on a, a Sunday night. And then we've got an F2 division on a Wednesday night as well. So plenty, plenty of action to watch out for as well. And that's all the action uh, is on Twitch. So please, by all means, you might get bored of my voice, but it's there and there's some incredible action. But let's let's get back to the podcast. So now we get to, you know, the, the big stories of, of this year now, and that is Vettel retiring from F1, and it's it's going to be weird not having Vettel in F1 anymore. A four-time world champion, uh, someone who's mellowed out ma- massively. He's been massively involved in like eco black lives matter you know not maybe as much as as hamilton on that point but he stood up for people's rights you've seen him at silverstone come and clear up the stands and he's really been outspoken and it's a different vettel that we knew when he was a champion swain uh, or some matt um how much of a loss to f1 is vettel going to be oh it's it's unimaginable to be honest um I think the the thing that really speaks volumes about Vettel is in this day and age, you see someone doing those like like cleaning up the stands in Silverstone, for example. And I think it's fair to say, like if someone like Lewis Hamilton did that, it would be all over his social media immediately. Whereas with Vettel, you know, I mean, he has Instagram now, but at the time he had no social media at all. He's not doing it for internet points. He's, he's just doing it because he's generally a good lad. Um, and it's, it's very refreshing to have someone like that i know a lot of people are of the opinion that um you know when they watch sports or something like that they're they're not there for political views they're there to like you know distract themselves and all that and that's fair enough but i think in in this day and age when so much is going on in the world you you need someone to use their platform and use their platform for good and that's exactly what fatel did um and it was it was lovely to see someone also supporting hamilton in that sense and him being out outspoken on so many issues um so yeah, it will be it will be a huge loss, but hopefully, he'll continue to do everything he he has already been doing, and probably even more so now that he has time to really focus on it. Are we going to see him in Formula E? I, I mean, I I haven't heard anything about it. Um, I I want to say no, purely because I feel like this. His his reason for going was because of his his family for the large part as well. Like he keeps that incredibly under wraps. So he does have two, I believe, two two children, um, and his wife that I'd never seen at an F one track. And I think his kids are getting to the age where he wants to be around for them, um, and not be away every other weekend doing racing. So I think I think it's possible, but I I think it's unlikely to happen. Now, this has kicked off a complete silly season in the middle of the season with driver transfers and everything. He's gone, he's put his arms up and gone, that's it, I'm I'm retiring, this is it. Vettel's gone, Alonso's there's gone, I'm going to uh, I'm going to Aston Martin. I mean, it's a good trade for, for Aston Martin, they've gone from a world champion to a world champion and, and Alonso's not going any, he's not getting any slower. But then it's left... Alpine just think, what, what do Alpine, you know, they're thinking whatever. 
uh, what do we do? And it's caused this whole Piastri mess. Piastri's gone, well, Alpine have gone, Piastri is racing for us. And uh, and Piastri's like, well, no, you know, it's gone past this. I'm not racing for Alpine next season. I mean, what what's your thoughts on that effectively um it's a giant shit show to be completely honest um so yeah i think alonso to aston martin for the first part is quite an interesting one um i saw something today that he felt like he didn't he wasn't supported that well in alpine because of his age um which is interesting um I'm sure there's a lot more to that, and there's obviously two sides to every story. Um, and I think, what, to be honest, Alpine being a French company and having a French young driver in Ocon, I can I can imagine them, you know, trying to support Ocon as much as they can. So I think that's fair. But yeah, and I think it's a fair move, you know, world champion, world champion, like you said, to Aston Martin. But I think it might be a bit too soon for Alonso. Um, I'm not sure what he's his expectations are but i mean i think there's a aston martin that wind tunnel they're building and their new building the new like um d building i don't yeah. i think that's either 23 mm. or 24 i can't remember when that's getting done but that's going to take a while to see any effect on track like if it's coming in 23 say you won't see the effect into the 24 car and as well i've got dan fellows from red bull who they signed i, I believe he starts this year and he might be too late to have an effect on next year's car. So I know he has a multi-year contract, but it might just be a, a tiny bit too late for Alonso to really make a chat. I mean, I could be completely wrong. And Aston Martin could pull a blinder next year. Who knows? But looking at it for, you know, odds, what the chances are, it's not that likely. Um and then the whole Alpine thing is just kind of, yeah, it's just a shit show to be completely honest. Um, uh, Alpine seem to don't have a very good record with their young drivers with uh, Taz will crucify me, so if I get, crucify me if I get anything wrong on this, but Guan Yu Zhou was an Alpine young driver, drove for Alpine, well not Alpine in F2, but he was an Alpine young driver in F2 and then he went to Alfa Romeo <laughs> last year, and now they've had Oscar Piastri who is seemingly going to McLaren this year. Um, so why why they're not as good at re- um, retaining the young drivers, I don't know. But it seemed the story is that uh, Mark Webber um, is Piastri's manager, and in the contract he had with Alpine, Alpine had to have requested Piastri services by some day early August, and if they didn't then Piastri was free to make his own move for 23. And it seems that the day Alpine announced Piastri had joined, it was two days after that deadline is what I've read. It seems to be the general consensus. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Um, But, I mean, if you're Alpine, you've just had your your pants pulled down, basically. Um, And why they would announce... Piastri is driving for them when they hadn't even spoke to him about it. I I have no idea. Um, but I will say as well. I, I mean, if it's you know it's black and white. If it's, if what's said is true, it's black and white. Then Piastri is free to do whatever he wants. But I do I do feel like it is without knowing the whole story. 
Um, we might have to wait until Piastri releases his, bi- his bi- biography for it or something like that. But without knowing the full story, it is, it is a bit of a slap in the face for Alpine with them injecting millions of pounds into him doing track days and testing in last year's Alpine car. And then for him to turn around and say, nah, see you later. I'm off to McLaren. It, I don't think it reflects too well on him, but like I said, if it's if it's how it says it is, then he hasn't done anything wrong legally, so he can do what he wants. Love that. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> I, I think uh, at some stage, Ollie, our contracts now getting to a stage we've we've seen obviously this is not about football but we've seen people kick off football players kick off about the length of the contract or they've signed a contract and they go well no no no, i want to move i mean are we seeing f1 move into that the that way of thinking with the drivers because if piastri isn't right about that then Mm. in my mind that's where it's going yeah, it, it could, you know, I mean, just in the F1 has been fairly straightforward when it comes to contract negotiations, um, you know, compared to football, at least football, you know, so many clauses within football agreements, you know, goals scored, minutes played, clean sheets, etc. Well, F1, but then again, we, I, I, well, I don't know the ins and outs of F1 contracts, but I guess they can't be as complicated as football contracts, but yeah, it's like 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 Matt has said, it's all all a bit of mess, and and you've mentioned as well, um, with with that situation. Um, I was hoping that Ricardo somehow stayed and would cause a, a massive shitstorm, um, when Pastor couldn't actually get a seat, and then I don't know where he'd end up. But yeah, it's it's all a bit crazy, and I think this sort of certain stuff that should have been kept under wraps, like this should have been all done, you know, weeks ago. And not come out, you know, like Alpine finding out on social media the fact that um, Alonso's leaving. You know, it's it's it's, stuff, it's crazy stuff like that. But yeah, it is it's gave us some entertainment when on the summer break. So I'm not I'm not complaining too much. It's a yeah, it's it's what Michael Massey wanted, wasn't it? You know, he wanted entertainment <laughs> for uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, drive to survive. Are Alpine making the mistake now? Ooh, uh, this big question. Let me rephrase this a little bit because it's a French team, don't get me wrong, and they want a French driver. But is Ocon mm. good enough? Oh, is Ocon good enough? That's a that's a debate for the ages, isn't it? Um, obviously got a win last season at Hungary. He's got pace, but it's is it pace enough to be winning titles? I mean, they've got to get the car there first. I th- I'm sure they said this year they'd be up and amongst the top runners or numbers yet last year they said they'd be up there and they're not really anywhere near um just looking at the standings Ocon's down in eighth um you know behind a, a heap of drivers ahead of him so he could be good enough but for me he's not shown enough like for example I, like if I would compare him to London Norris I'd say uh, Norris got a better record better times winning a title than him but again that's maybe a a British bias compared to a French bias, um, but he's done better. But then it's it's so difficult because the car it's all on the car, Gareth. You know, um, I'd I'd say if you were comparing to superbikes like MotoGP, MotoGP, it's eighty percent the driver, twenty percent the, the bike. But an F one, I think it's like eighty percent the car, 
20 percent the driver um so it, dep- it debates it all depends whether they can get that car up, up to scratch but maybe i i think there are better drivers out there they could have picked from than ockham being the number one potentially that next year now ronan i'm, I'm going to keep on talking about this subject for a little bit longer because it is big and we're going to come back to it a little bit later on from the other side of it anyway but standings only take say so much of the story in my opinion and you know my opinion's generally not well thought of but alonso is a better driver than Ocon, but Ocon's got more points. You look at Canada. I'm going to use Canada as a as a benchmark here. Alonso was able to do mixed conditions, wet, whatever, get himself on the front row of the grid. Ocon just seems to be right place, right time. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on that. To be honest. I mean, Alonso is it's it's he's a good driver. I mean, he won two world championships, should have won more. I think everyone can agree on that. But I mean, Ocon is. I mean, he won F3 against Verstappen, so that says something. I would I would say, and he done well in GP3 as well. I think after that and GP2, and so yeah, he's a good driver. So but I think just the main problem is with that all all of that that Alonso wanted a multi-year contract and Alpine didn't want to. And then Austin would give him a multi-year contract and be like, okay, I'll go to Austin. And then Alpine was too late to re-sign Piastri. So you've obviously heard Matt and Ollie's take on on what's happened. It, has this caused an unnecessary silly season in the well, a silly signing season? Or do you think this was kind of an, an inevitable? Mm, I mean, no. I, I don't think it was inevitable, but I mean, I mean, if Alpine just said to Alonso, oh, you can sign for two years, then would probably just signed, and then Piastri would probably just gone to McLaren with Alpine's permission. But now Alpine was just too late, and then yeah, Piastri was, I don't know, probably went for security. I don't know what the reasoning behind it is, but yeah, it, uh, kicked off a. Uh, a really good silly season, I would say. Now, this is going to sound like a weird question to ask because none of us here are drivers. But if you were in Piastri's shoes and, you know, this company has put billions in behind you, would you defect as easily to, to not only a rival, but the closest rival to that company in well, in in the you know, McLaren and Alpine are nearly inseparable in the constructors. Yeah, I mean, of course, you don't know what's been said, and maybe he was promised stuff, and they didn't came up with it, and then, yeah, the deadline came close, and he was like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna take my chances." But normally, I would say no, I wouldn't do it, especially if they invest so much money into you. But on the other hand, you could argue that McLaren is better in the long term. I see McLaren become a race winner much earlier than Alpine, despite Alpine being the, having the faster car right now. It's just as an organization. I would say McLaren is better. Okay. Well, that's going to lead us on to a little bit of like, the, the rule changes and the, the porpoising and, you know, one of the, the, the main reasons I have Matt along for this is because he is very, very good at the technical side of cars. 
and obviously porpoising has been a huge bane in the Mercedes backside at the start side of the season. I said I would, I would bring up Mercedes and, and early doors, they looked like they were the best of the rest. It was always Red Bull, Ferrari. And the Mercedes were able to... They did all right at Bahrain and then both of them struggled for a couple of races. Uh, George was able to get that string of just staying in the top five until he crashed. But Matt, how much... Obviously, porpoising is, is is something different that we've never really encountered in F1 for a while. There's always been a little bit of it, but never to this extent. Yeah, so it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting topic um, because it's difficult to say at this point at this point of the season whether Mercedes have truly got on top of it or not um, because if you see what Toto Wolf has been saying in the press he says it's largely track dependent and that's the reason why they've been having less porpoising um, since the start of the season I think I think the truth is somewhere in the middle I think yes it is track dependent but a team like Mercedes with all their brain power and resources behind them they would have a, a better understanding now of how their car works and what triggers the porpoising and what tr- doesn't trigger the porpoising um, and yeah the the rule changes for next year are interesting. So they got published last week. And um, there's a few things in there which Red Bull and Ferrari are not very happy about. Um, which basically means the floor edge, so the lowest point of the floor, is they're raising it by 15 mil, which is interesting because it was proposed it would be 25 mil, but they've kind of met in the middle and put 15 mil. And there's a bunch of other changes in there, like the, the diffuser throat has been raised and, and so on and so forth. And I think... I think it'll be it'll be difficult to. I mean, there's only a few people that will truly understand what those changes mean and how they would actually affect a car. Um, so, for a large part, you'll probably just get different people from different teams saying, "Oh, that's going to hurt us. That's not going to hurt us," and blah blah blah. blah. Um, and I think we won't really know until next year. But I think the 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 big thing is, I think the principle of it is. I think the big argument from Red Bull and Ferrari was, oh, we, well, not necessarily Ferrari, but more Red Bull. It's like, we don't have porpoising. It's on Mercedes to fix their car. And then you get the, med, uh, the Mercedes side of thing where this is a health issue. And I think the problem, the principle is you can't let the teams decide what is safe and is not safe. You have to draw the line somewhere. And... I think in this day and age, especially with safety being such a huge push, the the FIA had to do something. Um, I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing as like uh, if anyone remembers Canada, when I believe it was Magnussen's M plate came loose, and it wasn't really that much of a problem until Ocon said on the radio, "If that thing comes off, it's going to hit me in the head." And as soon as Ocon said that, they showed him the black and orange flag because they had to. If they didn't, and they did come off and hit him in the head then the FAA would be hugely to blame. And if they didn't make any changes, FAA didn't make any changes to the floor, and porpoising was still an issue uh, next year, and you have all these doctors coming out and saying how much of a problem it is, then the FAA is going to be to blame for that. So I think the principle is they had to make a change, whether you're a Red Bull fan or a Mercedes fan. Now, George has come out and said that George Russell, that is. I don't know if there's another George in F1 that people know about. Uh, but he's come out and said that 
Ferrari and Red Bull have been pushing the limits with it and they are going to suffer now. Do you think that that is, that is the case? Do you think that George and... Uh, George is right and Red Bull and Ferrari are going to struggle now and can, are we going to see a bigger resurgence for Mercedes because Mercedes have been pretty strong is that is that in reference to the the flexi floors yeah with the technical okay yeah so I believe I believe it's coming into effect at Spa with the the new technical directive which is the effectively the I believe they're called the T-trays basically the the front of the floor that's basically underneath like the driver's legs um, you're allowed to have like a spring in there or something like that this year and it's something to do with that and that bit is flexing and a lot of the teams are saying Red Bull and Ferrari have been um, flirting with the rules in, in that sense and like I said, there's only so many people in the world that actually understand what that means and how that would affect a car um, and there's a lot of people that like to pretend they know what that means and I'm not going to pretend to know what it means um, because I don't know and so... We could we could turn up to Spa and it could be completely the same, but it's likely if George Russell's mentioning it, then some aerodynamicist that Mercedes has been in his ear and told him about it, um, and mentioned something. So, I mean, we'll find out tomorrow, I guess, and Saturday to see if it actually does an effect. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Now I'm going to go over to the Dutch side of uh, this this uh, little podcast and see what Roland has to say about this because obviously being I, I don't want to say a, a Max fan but home oh, home favorite you for that. you uh, yeah <laughs> it's a home favorite for you um, and you know what this is this is this could very well affect Red Bull and how it how it moves forward. If it does affect Red Bull, what I mean, what's your thoughts on how the media are going to react, how Max is going to react, and is there any reaction already? Mm, no. Well, the the main consensus is that just people don't believe that will have any effect, of not as much. Well, I only see in English media is where like, oh, Mercedes might be the best car now, and here's like, okay, maybe. Mercedes is closer to it. Maybe they get a win in this season, but probably still Ferrari versus Red Bull. And that's, yeah, I don't know. I don't have the knowledge of it to, to really understand if how much it's going to affect Ferrari and Red Bull. So I, I just hope, I mean, if Mercedes gets closer, that only, yeah, makes more fun races, I would say. I think so. we would all love a, a three, a three team battle. Cause at the moment, Sainz hasn't really delivered. He's had opportunities and then he's had some pretty... I wouldn't necessarily say issues that are his fault, but there's all... It, unlike Charles, who's maybe in a little bit more of a spotlight in the Ferrari side right now, but the Carlos has... Yeah, Imola sticks out in my head for me, but then you've also got the likes of Austria, where his car exploded... Yeah, I mean that's not his fault, is it? So if I mean in terms of mistakes, I mean we'd say they both made as equal as mistakes. Science in Imola, for example, Charles in France, also Imola during the race, small mistake. Hmm. And yeah, they both got robbed during strategy, during car breaking down. So yeah, I mean overall, the Leclerc is just a better driver in Ferrari team. I mean science is good, but. Blue is just better. So there we go. That's that's where 
you know, we're, we're going to end on, on this rule change issue here. And I say issue, it's a, a challenge for, for the top two teams of the championship at the moment. But you know what? Mercedes aren't too far behind. Currently, you know, Lewis on 146, George on 158. And there's a Ferrari in between the middle of them, which is Carlos Sainz on 156 points themselves. I mean, obviously, that is just before the Belgium Grand Prix, which is happening this weekend. And we don't, with every, all the changes, everything that's happening, we don't know what's going to happen. And, that, and that's the crucial thing. We don't know what's going to happen. And that's going to take us to the McLaren side of things because I'm going to talk about the championship and Lando's in seventh he's the highest scoring points person outside of that top six and funnily enough Lewis Hamilton is in sixth place Daniel Ricciardo's down in 12th with only 19 Lando's on 76 it looks like from the outside point of view if you're looking at that yeah McLaren have done exactly the right thing to do and get rid of Danny Ricardo, but that is not that's not what I'm thinking of and I'm going to ask Ollie in a second what his thoughts are on this, however the other day, oh, it was actually yesterday, but when you're reading this it'll be whenever, what, the 24th of August Danny Rick has put, put a video out and he's got his characteristic smile, he's talking and he's saying it's you know, mutual, it's you know we both haven't done this, the smile's there, but you look in his eyes. He's upset. He is not happy with this. He wanted that third season. He feels like he's deserved that. And I think he's deserved that as well. He's the only McLaren driver to have a win in the, de in the last decade. Um, and I think if you, if you delve into his video, and I'm not going to bring it up fully here, he's made it pretty clear with his wording that this was all McLaren's end. Uh, which isn't what McLaren are saying in their press conference, their press releases. It's always oh, all mutual. But it, it, the words, Danny Rick has chosen his words, to my mind, brilliantly. It's putting it down that it's McLaren more than him that, that wants this. But you, you feel what he says, and he still wants to stay at McLaren. If that Piastri deal break through, I feel like he would be like, yeah, I'll still race for you. Um, and I think a lot of people are misinterpreting what is said. Mutual doesn't mean he wanted to leave. It means that he's agreed to leave because he's cut a deal with McLaren that appeases him, that that makes him feel like that is worth his time to not race next season because he could take a sabbatical next season. Ollie, uh, mm -hmm. I've said a massive piece about this now. <laughs> But I, I, people, people will know I'm, I'm a massive Danny Rick fan. He doesn't win eight races in a Formula One career to not be a good driver. What's your thoughts on Danny Rick and this whole McLaren issue? Um, in general, I, I don't rate him. Um, but with regard to this situation specifically, um, like you mentioned, no one wants to lose an F1 contract. You know, it's worth millions of pounds and um, obviously he'll get a payout for that and he's on a he's on a good whack anyway after being bought out of his um previous contract um so yeah it's sad to see him go um he could i mean he could go to alpine because that seat's open so I, maybe that's the only seat that's currently available unless there's other contracts not been signed so 
but he could take a sabbatical like Ocon did and come back in, have a year out doing, I don't know, Will Endurance or Formula E or whatever he wants to do. Yeah, like you can tell by his eyes, he doesn't want to want doesn't want to go. You know, like I said, who wants to go? But he is so far behind, and he he didn't beat his teammate last year either. Norris was forty five points ahead of him. Um, obviously, he got the the win, um, like you mentioned. But yeah, I think he's just lost his mojo. Maybe like Vettel, just nowhere near as good as he used to be. But again. That's my opinion. I, I, I obviously you're going to completely disagree with everything I just said <laughs> as a as a uh, as a Ricardo fan, but yeah, I think there are better people out there. He's had plenty of opportunities, and he hasn't been able to take them. Um, be it his fault or the car's fault or the team's fault, whatever. Um, yeah, maybe he should have said it Red Bull, but again, that's a different issue with Verstappen and all that jazz, and that's why he left in the first place. But yeah. Uh, I wish him good luck to whatever he does and for the rest of the season, but yeah, I won't miss him, I don't think. Maybe the whole Pierre Gasly shouting that really does annoy me, that don't annoy the hell out of me. So I'm glad I won't hear that again, maybe. Now, this comes back to something I mentioned on a little bit earlier on. McLaren have built that that car so specifically around Lando. I don't blame them. Lando, you know, people say George is the best British young driver to come through. I don't necessarily agree because Lando has, I don't think that McLaren is good as people say it is. And Lando's dragged that McLaren through. I know George did the same to Williams. And and to be honest, Albon's doing the same to that Williams at the moment as it is. He's, but I think with, with Williams, they need that pay driver. Unfortunately, Latifi's that pay driver, but Lando isn't a pay driver. Danny Rick isn't a pay driver. And McLaren need a pay driver. Is Oscar Piastri that pay driver? I I don't I, I genuinely don't know what his finances are for Piastri, um, unless Roland or um, Matt know whether he's a pay driver or not. I I didn't think he was. I don't oh, think I, I don't fully think he is. It's just a a harsh question I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> no no no, it's it's fine. Um, but obviously, you bring someone new into a team. They're going to take time to bed in. Um, and it's an Australian for an Australian, isn't it? So that yeah, that, that doesn't change anything. But McLaren needs a little bit of finance. And obviously, I think they're owned partially by one of the... Uh, was it one of the Middle Eastern countries owns part Bahrain. of McLaren? Oh, that's it. Yeah, the Brunei of Bahrain or something like that owns part of McLaren. So... It all depends how much cash he wants to put into it, really. Um, if Piastri doesn't bring any money in, he could bring sponsors in that Ricardo doesn't. So that could be one thing. Or he's got maybe, like, Perez has got a big, a wealthy backer that that helps him out. I don't know whether he still has that Red Bull, but I know he had it when he was at Force India and Sauber. But, I mean, if you chuck Piastri in, what's the worst he can do? I mean, is he going to do worse than Ricardo? Maybe to start off with, but he's done phenomenally well in his junior career, Piastri. So I'd, I'd just, I'd love to keep, I'm always someone who likes to give young drivers a chance. So I'd love to see what he can do um, in that McLaren if it, as we presume he's going to sign. But give him a chance. But again, Gareth, you're going to hate me for everything I just said because Ricardo's not involved. But 
yeah, I, I'd love to see him in that car and see see what he can do. I think there's a few other drivers who could take his, that seat, or who could also fill that seat. Is that um, who's that Mexican driver who drives for McLaren in IndyCar? He's quite good as well, but I don't think he'll get Ward. the seat. Yeah, that's it. Is it Pat Patrick O'Ward? Yeah, yeah, who's an Irish name but is Mexican, if I'm right in thinking. But I don't think he'll get the seat. I don't think we've seen an IndyCar driver come to F1 in a long time. I think Scott Speed maybe in the last one, or what's his name, Rossi? Uh, Alexander Rossi. Yeah. He, but Rossi yeah. didn't drive IndyCar before he went to F1. Oh, he did he not? F1 oh. to IndyCar. Ah, okay, my mistake. But yeah, I don't think that'll happen, but I'm yeah, thinking the yeah. last one, probably Montoya. I thought it was Scott Speed. That might, been, that might have been Cart back if... in those days. Oh, yeah, okay. it was it was Cart, but yeah. uh... same thing. Yeah, mm. it's no IndyCar. So, but I don't know if Scott Speed did IndyCar. Oh, he may have. He not was rebel. It was a rebel driver, wasn't he? Yes, he oh, was. I will yeah. say on the subject of IndyCar, it's quite funny that um, Arrow McLaren. SP, the IndyCar team, partly owned by McLaren, signed the Spanish uh, IndyCar champion Alex Palou, who apparently also had a contract with uh, Chip Ganassi, so they're going to court over that. So it's not it's not the only uh, contract to beat McLaren over their hands at the moment. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're also part of it. That's... I had to immediately think of it. <laughs> so here we go, you know... Uh, McLaren getting a full bashing here and you know I'm going to finish off with this little bit because not only am I a Danny Rick fan I've you know Matt will attest to this I'm I'm a McLaren fan I've lost respect for McLaren out of this because of it they just not because they've got rid of Danny Rick it's just the way they've gone about it there's been points this season that they've just downright being I don't want to say rude but they just they've not handled the situation right at all very similarly to Alpine with the whole Piastri thing it seems like whoever's in their legal department or or whatever or the the post legal department haven't got their head screwed on and it's you know what <laughs> you do you but that's not how I would do it anyway let's um yeah let's 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 go on and and talk about the next point in this this podcast. Now, that's not the the everything of the XL Sports Network. We do have to admit, we are looking at possibly changing the name, and we are going to throw out a poll in the near future, once things have settled down, after a few more podcasts, to change the name of this. And if you like XL Sports Network, do let us know. That's a name that we uh we've come up with and if you think it's nice you think it's good enough let us know and we'll stay but like i said there's more to it as well there could be you know the possibility moving forward merchandise and uh even maybe some other gifts as well uh maybe some some one-off podcasts just for something of your liking but let's get back to the action of this podcast So next up, it is the Ardain Forest that we're going to speak about. It's the Spa-Francorchamps Grand Prix. Uh, a, a short, like, four-and-a-half-hour drive for Roland. And first of all, we're going to discuss how 
if this track does not get extended for the calendar what's that going to do to the f1 community it's one of the most historic one of the most well-loved i think it's only been missed uh i could very well be wrong with this stat but four times since the the first inaugural championship in 1950 that in itself is huge uh roland's i mean if this isn't on the calendar for a couple of years how big is this going to be yeah it's it's unimaginable is it even more unimaginable than not having Monaco. I mean, you got to have Spa. You got to. I mean, most drivers is probably the favorite of a lot of drivers, or at least in the top five. And like you said, it has so much history. A part of the track is still part of the old track. So, yeah. I mean, Orouge, Radion. We have to say more. It just has to be on the calendar. You mentioned Arouge and Radion already, but there's so many people that you, you go and you say Kemmel Straight, they know exactly where that is. You go Puon, they know exactly where that is. The Kem, uh, I've already said the Kemmel Straight. Um, bus Stop Chicane, they know exactly where it is. It's one of those nearly, I would say, nearly as historic as Silverstone in itself, uh, because that one, we won't go back down to the whole Wellington Straight story that came from you know the the uh, sister site for all this which is f1xl uh and on the subject of that i am going to do a little plug right now and if you do enjoy like league racing action on xbox playstation pc get yourself involved search f1xl look us up on youtube twitch uh, twitter we've got a website have a look at what we do it is a really really good thing anyway enough about that we'll move on uh but roland I mean, we're looking at losing, like we've mentioned, one of the most historic racetracks, if not the most historic racetrack on the calendar. Can can F1 can F1 really afford to lose Spa? No, in my opinion, not. I mean, my opinion should have tracks like Spa, Silverstone, Monza, maybe even Monaco. It should be on the calendar. They are there. They exist in racing before F1 existed. So, yeah, they've been on the calendar most years. They just should be on the calendar. This, yeah, in my opinion, they should they should have. Uh, how do you how do you say it? Just an exception. Yeah. For contract, they should pay money for it. But I mean, help them a bit if they can't afford it that much. Be a bit more lenient on it, just because of the history. I th- I'm in agreement with it. You know, there is there are certain tracks on the calendar that just deserve deserve a right to be on there. Now, Ollie, and I'm going to go with you first. Mm-hmm. Spa itself is a, you know, we, we've mentioned, and I'm going to keep mentioning, such a historic track. Do you think F1 is becoming too money orientated? I know you need a lot of money, but with the likes of Abu Dhabi, Bahrain, you know, America just. It, seemingly throwing money at it is this strangling is this suffocating the tracks that deserve to be on there that can't raise that sort of money yeah i raised the point before we started recording that f1 might turn into a street ticket calendar you said miami obviously recently added we're gonna have las vegas next year or the year after them i can't remember what exactly but um yeah, it, it's frustrating, you know, these countries and these 
businesses can just throw in limited money at these tracks and these street circuits and unfortunately spa can't hasn't got that same money obviously spa holds a lot of other races you know rallycross world endurance gt cup etc but it's frustrating you know the, these old school circuits are struggling to keep up with the finances you know silverstone complained multiple times about it, the, the cost of f1 um, and i think they should be a cornerstone of formula one like, like roland and yourself have said you know monza silverstone we're at monaco but that's another debate for another day um where japan uh, i think germany should be on there you know uh, maybe not the nibbering but not the full nibbering sorry or hockenheim um yeah the, it's annoying. Um, I hope they get it sorted because, you know, how many, you know, you you could go you could go on for days and days talking about the good Grand Prix of at a spa. Tell me the same about I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of a shit street circuit, because um, Azerbaijan's quite good. Um, Singapore. I don't know. Ah, good and bad at Singapore. Um, it 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 goes either way. Um, but again, Singapore has its own thing because it's at night. Mm. While well, Miami, for example, was quite boring. Um, Jeddah, I don't massively rate. It's, it's it's better than most, but it's not great. Abu Dhabi, for example, is always as a championship fight finale is awful. Like we all agree that Brazil is a far better end to the season. The action we've had at Brazil in the past, obviously, Await was amazing. Senna winning. Um, with only only being able to use like two gears, you know, they need to. I, it's difficult because obviously tracks are expensive to build, hence why they're doing more street circuits. But it's frustrating when there's one bloke who designs all the Formula One tracks. Why is that? Why, <laughs> why is there only one guy who does it? It should be opened up to a floor of different designers, and go back to old school. I know it's difficult, like I said, to build. Just go. Oh, I'll just use like. 20 acres and build an f1 track i know it's not that simple but yeah sorry i have rambled a little bit there but spa should stay that's that's my point now ollie uh thank you for that uh, matt silverstone just down the corner from you and i know we're meant to be talking about spa but you know ollie's quite rightly mentioned that silverstone have complained about the, the cost of f1 but year after year they continually break records and how many people are there spa are very similar in that and, and you know last season spa couldn't hold a race because of the weather now we've spoken about health and safety and everything before but that doesn't help that doesn't help them that doesn't alleviate the cost of f1 they've had so many people there we had f1 drivers saying that people should get their money back from it now spa you know, we're going to continue saying that Spa deserve to be on the, the circuit, but has this like recent, well, I say recent, the last year, cost Spa possibly because FIA didn't do anything about refunding people their money for that race? Has it cost them their, that circuit? Um, I don't think so, personally. I feel like this is more of a um, with South Africa looking to come onto the calendar, that's uh, 24 races, I want to say. I could be wrong, but it's somewhere in that ballpark. And you speak to like any of the teams and they think, you know, no more than 21, 22 should be allowed. Because, I mean, that's, 
you think how often I mean there's like what two triple headers this season or something along those lines and like god knows how many double headers and you know the time away from the families is just ridiculous um so i think that's part of it where the at some point tracks are gonna have to go now that's when you get into the argument of what tracks should go and what tracks shouldn't go and obviously spy with all of its history and got dating back to the I want to say like the 60s and the 50s with the the layout that was ridiculously long, like the Nordschleife. Um, of course, it's, it should stay. Now, I think there's a lot of nuance in the debate, though. And I think the problem is, obviously, with F1 now becoming fantastically popular, I think F1 and Liberty Media realize this and they want the tracks to pay more now. And I think that's part of the problem in that, say, for example, like a Las Vegas or a Miami can pay God knows how many to host a race. Then it's the historic tracks that wouldn't have a backing of like a country behind them. Um, where do they get the money from? And I feel a lot of it is contract negotiation. You hear like, for example, with Monaco this year, we're like, oh no, Monaco is going to leave. And, yada 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 and there was those problems like monaco wanting their own race director for god knows what reason and all these sort of problems and then after it was like oh yeah no monaco's actually gonna stay it's all a lot of it is scare tactics and trying to get more money or less money from one side and but i do think the threat of spa leaving is real don't get me wrong um and it looks like from what i've read it looks like next year should be okay for spa because it looks like South Africa aren't quite ready to host a Grand Prix at Kailama yet. But its long-term future is still in doubt. And who knows, a lot can change in the year. We'll see. Um, but I, I don't think it was entirely on the debacle that was last year. I think there's more going on to it than just that. So this last bit is we're going to move a mix Spa the race and the remainder of the season, what we expect from it, into one little pull together. Now, Swain, this is something, you know, I know I've, we've just spoken in depth about how we want to keep Spa on the circuit and everything like this. Last season, we never really had a full experience of what what Spa can produce. Obviously, these new cars are happening. Uh, are happening? Happened. And... You know, we, we saw how good Lando Norris was in the wet weather conditions. It looking dry in the Ardane Forest this, this weekend. So it, we could we could see a dry tra- track. And I mean, I mean, does this fall into the from mem- for, I say from memory from this season? We don't really know what to expect. But are we expecting Ferrari and Red Bull to do their thing and then Mercedes to be just behind? Well, there's there's quite a lot going into it. Um, that could shake up the order potentially, whether it will or not. Who knows? There's the technical directive that we mentioned earlier with the the, fe- the flexi T trays that supposedly will hurt Ferrari and Red Bull. Um, I do believe Mercedes is also bringing some upgrades. They they mentioned before the summer break they said they were going to bring upgrades to Spa and Monza. What those upgrades are, I don't know. And typically, the Achilles heel of the Mercedes was one the porpoising and two its drag 
which I think is quite fascinating considering it's no side pods concept was secondarily about low drag. So to know they have some of the worst drag of any team is quite interesting. But regardless, um, yeah, there's there's those things to consider. There's the weather as well. That although yeah, the weather does look dry. It's it's very much spa. Anything can happen. Um, so we'll see, and we we obviously have to see what Ferrari are going to be like in low drag because I can't imagine they'll run high downforce around Spa. Um, that just doesn't seem like a, a realistic uh, thing to do. So there's that, and that could throw definitely throw. And then there's also the engine penalties, supposedly, going on. Rumor of the in the paddock at the moment is Leclerc's going to take another engine penalty at Spa, um, seeing as it, it should be a good track to overtake on. And only in the last few hours it came, well, the Verstappen looks like he could also take one as well, which... I think would be absolutely hilarious having the two championship challenges starting at the back of the grid. It'd be like a reverse grid. Um, so w whether that happens or not, we don't know. But if it does, it'd be absolutely amazing. Now, we can't really say... At, at, at this point, I've, I've said about what do we expect for the remainder of the season. But with these new directives, with everything... I think for the first time in a long time after the summer break, we can't say what is about to happen. Yeah, I would. I would pretty much agree with that. Um, it, I think, uh, there is a lot of hype behind Mercedes, and I feel like that is partially the British media. Um, I, I think, they would be lucky to win a race, um, before the season's out, um, because I, I feel like, this this set of upgrades they're bringing to these two races might be the last they bring. Um, with now that with now that the uh, regulations are set for next year I feel like a lot of the concentration is going to go on next year's car because it could be a bit different with those changes so it's going to whether those upgrades help Mercedes enough to put them in that battle so I think on race day they have looked very competitive but it's very track specific as to how competitive they are and Silverstone's not too dissimilar from Spa and Mercedes definitely did have a race-winning car at Silverstone, I would say. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Now I'm going to pick on that point and, and throw it to you, Roland. Silverstone for, for, for Silverstone and Mercedes, it did look like a race-winning car. And some people might say Hamilton deserved the victory at Silverstone because he was quick. Obviously being a little bit of a, a home favourite for you for, for there as well. If Max and Leclerc start at the back of the grid for for Spa, can can George or Lewis take advantage of this? I, I do think Mercedes will be closer because of the new rules. I hope it hampers uh, Ferrari and Rebel not too much, but but still, I I would say that Sainz and Paris probably might also be there. But yeah, then again, I mean Lewis and Russell. Uh, are, are really good drivers so yeah if if they can can close the gap a bit then and max and uh and charles uh, do start at the back then yeah they could win it well, at least they have a chance a bit bigger chance than they had now outside of those top three teams you've got alpine and mclaren fighting away and i know we've spoken a lot about these two already in the constructors I think, if my memory serves me correctly, that 
Uh, is it Alpine that's got like a four point lead over McLaren? Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's 99 and 95 to Alpine and then McLaren respectively. How much can these two teams take advantage of the fact, and, and if it is true, of uh, the the two championship protagonists being starting at the, at the back of the grid? They could be in for a podium. But yeah, who has the better car? Yeah, I would say McLaren has the better car because, I mean, one of the drivers is like in 12th position, Ricardo. So that and they're only then four points off Alpine, who has two yeah, similar pace drivers, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, it could be in for a podium. So, but that, that yeah, that all depends if Leclerc and Verstappen starts at the back. Which I don't think it's true, but we'll see. I'm sure. I'm just going to say, I'm sure we'll find out uh, very, very shortly. And in, in, in our standards, it will be about 24 to 48 hours if they do do that in itself. Uh, Ollie, mm-hmm. Spa, mm-hmm. we're, we're going to talk about exactly the same as these guys have already discussed. We haven't got data to go off, though Silverstone, as Matt quite rightly said, is very similar to to this track and the way it sets and could, could we see Mercedes pull off a shock result here as, as, as in a victory? I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Mercedes out of nowhere getting the win. Um, as someone who's hasn't really got any affiliation to any team or driver um, at the moment, I just want a good race, you know, and Mercedes can provide that great battling with Ferrari, Red Bull, if someone else wants to chuck their, their sixpence in as well. You know, that'd be great. Um, yeah, it'd be good for Mercedes as well. You know, they've had a a, a torrid start for the well, I say torrid. It's not been as good as they wanted to after obviously dominating the sport for quite a few years. So if they could do it, that would be amazing. And yeah, what a place to do it as well, um, especially in, in front of Max's fans. Um, that would be quite funny as well. But that's just me being the the, <laughs> the, the pessimist in the uh, in in the in the podcast. But yeah, no, I, I'd uh, it'd be great if they did. But if they don't, you know, I'm sure we'll have a good race regardless if Ferrari don't mess up the strategy. Now, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's come to the stage of we're getting very close to the end of this podcast now. And I'm going to go through each of the guests here tonight and ask them two seemingly very simple questions. Now, Roland, I'm going to start off with you because you're at the top of the list on my, on my, <laughs> uh, on the chat here. And, you know what? You've already kind of half mentioned that who you think is going to win the championship this season. I'm going to go with, are you st- sticking with Max to win the championship and, and Red Bull to win the constructors? The, Max winning the, the, the championship, 100%. Red Bull constructors, probably. Although I could see Ferrari snitch it back because they, I mean, both their drivers are better than Paris. So, in my opinion. But, yeah, I would say yes, they win both. Okay. Ollie, now you're next in the list, so I'm going back straight to you. And, you know, Max currently leading the way by, I think, is it 80 points from Charles Leclerc? And Red Bull are leading the way by nearly 100 points. Is it 97 to, to Ferrari in the championship in the over on the uh, constructors' side? Are you backing the, the Red Bull Max Verstappen contingency here? Yeah, sorry, Gareth, be boring. But yeah, I agree with exactly what Roland said. 
Max on a charge. I think Thrive cost, well, I think they've shot themselves in the foot with what's happened at the beginning of the season. You know, I'm sure they'll look back on the season and go, we did this, we did that. But yeah, I can't see anyone else but Red Bull and Max Verstappen winning both drivers and constructors, unless, again, a Perez has a torrid time, but I can't see that happening. He's very consistent. Mercedes obviously too far back. Um, with well, constructors anyway. Um, oh, I say, are they? Yeah, they probably are too far back. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's Max is out to lose, Gareth. It would have to be quite an incredible turnaround for anyone else to take it off him. Now, Matt, uh, last but definitely not least, my friend, uh, it's Max and Red Bulls to lose, surely. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, my heart says Leclerc, but if I was a better man, I couldn't put money on anyone else but Verstappen taking it. It's just, it's too big of a lead for, like, don't get me wrong, Leclerc, I think Leclerc is capable of doing it, but he's up against Verstappen, he, one of the best drivers of this generation. And it's, the thing with Verstappen is he's he's so incredibly consistently good. And that's what, uh, Leclerc has to go up against and like I said even if Leclerc won every single race and Verstappen finished second it would still be Verstappen so it's it's very much Verstappen's to lose now not that you guys want to hear my opinion on this at all uh, well you might do uh, I, I, for those of you who know me uh, I like to think a little bit differently and a little bit outside the box now I'm going to find it very difficult for Max to be beaten this 80 points is a hell of a lot of points. So I think, yes, people are right. He's going to win the championship. Constructors, I'm going to go for the, the team that everyone seemingly thrown out the water. Uh, Oli saying he's they are definitely not in with a shout, but they're only 30 points behind Ferrari in second place. I think Mercedes upgrades are going to work. I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with when coming into the second half of the uh, this this season. I am happy to eat my words uh, at the end of the season we'll have to wait and see uh, but for now th thank you guys for, for anyone that has listened to the whole way through this i know how successful the first one was and we should have really pushed this on through the beginning of the season i apologize it's, it's, that is on me that is very much on me so i do apologize we are going to hopefully move on with this a little bit more often uh, but you know might have to, to change Ollie out every so often because he's gallivanting. But yeah, so thank you, Roland. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Ollie. It has been an incredible show. Thank you so much for taking your time out to be with me for this one. I have really enjoyed it. It has been a cracking one, to say the least. Thank you all for listening as well to this XL Network special. And hopefully... Hopefully, we'll catch you in the next one. Goodbye.